0: With that said, I'm Mark, if we haven't met yet, one of the pastors here at Lakeside, and we are, as Kathleen said, in part two of a series called Broken, which is all about mental health. And uh, last week was kind of our intro week. If you missed it, don't feel like you're coming in at the end of a movie or in the middle of the movie. I hate that. I'm like OCD. I need to like start from the beginning, from the title. My wife can like come in like ten episodes in, three seasons in. Doesn't bother her. Not me. Uh, but hey, today we'll stand totally alone and yet be totally connected to last week. So you can go on YouTube, catch up, podcast, catch up. But don't worry, you're not missing out. I'll catch you, get you all caught up today for part two of Broken. And uh, the reason we're talking about this as a church is because last week we just talked about how prevalent mental health is and yet how as a church and just society in general, we don't quite know how to support people and journey alongside and even care for ourselves when we're battling this. You know, someone breaks a leg, we bring them a casserole. Someone has cancer, we bring them a casserole. Someone struggles with depression, we're not sure if we should call. We're not sure what to do. And so we're trying to break all those stigmas and really become uh, a place uh, not so much of hiding, but of healing. And we looked at history last week. We discovered that even in times in history when mental health was so unknown that the Greeks and the Romans would stay as far away from people with mental health challenges because they thought it was contagious, the Christians were actually starting the first mental health care in the year 400. Like, it was incredible that they moved towards people that were struggling and broken uh, and not away from them. And we want to continue to do that uh, as a church, as a community, and as individuals. So uh, we're really excited because uh, one of the the stats I ran across, and so many stats as I'm preparing, but uh, one of them was depression impacts more people than cancer, diabetes, HIV, and AIDS combined. Uh, and that's just one facet of mental health. And so just so, so important. And then the other thing we learned last week was 60% of the people struggling with depression will never, ever tell a soul. 60%. And I just said, imagine if 60% of the people in this room uh, who had you know, broke their legs and 60% of them didn't tell anyone how would that be like how do we care for them it would be like hey how come you're always late why you walk so slow just like we'd have no idea and yet there's so many times in the last week we really laid out so many of the different challenges that come with um, different mental health challenges and uh, and just how we just so need to be aware of that so uh, that's where we're going and today specifically we're talking about anxiety um, and if you're here today and you're like not a church person not a Christian you're like what what do I have to gain from this here's here's the big thing uh, we've been in- encouraging people it's not like we're like hey the medical world is doing its own thing, and us church people, we got a better solution, we totally believe in the medical world, we believe in medical professionals, in fact, we have multiple doctors, one of them I met with this week, who come to Lakeside, who love God, love Jesus, and actually still believe in science, that those aren't two separate things, that we actually believe they're together, scripture's clear, that medicine's not a bad thing, doctors and healthcare is not a bad thing, and so we think that they actually go in tandem, and we actually just think that there's something about Jesus that said, I have come to bring life, so that you may live life to the full that Jesus' model of living was actually to live fully alive. And to live with mental health is not fully alive, if you've ever, and I'll share my story, battled with it, that it just feels like you're broken, that there's more to life that you're not able to experience. And so we're exploring what do the scriptures have to say and what does God have to say as Jesus' people for that. And if you're not a church person, not a Christian, you can totally just steal these nuggets and kind of audit the course. And I'm not sure what I believe. I'm trying to figure out, but, like, is it even practical? Does it even work? And so every week I'm just trying to give you one, one nugget to start applying um, as you engage with people battling mental mental health or as you battle mental health on your own. Um, and so quick, quick poll for the audience here. How many of you have fire alarms in your house? Okay, better question. Who doesn't have a fire alarm in your house? Ha- okay, nobody wants to confess. Okay, good, good. I'm glad I tell you to call your landlord. That's bad. Um, now, when you're, how many of you have ever had your fire alarm go off? Another, yeah? Yep. Yeah, seems to be a common thing when you have a fire alarm. Um, how many of you call 911 the moment the alarm goes off? Exactly, good, smart. Because fire alarms, what I've learned, does not mean that there's a fire. No, it just means that it's possessed, right? Like it's just it just goes off at 3 a.m. And so, anyways, if you hear your fire alarm go off, you know the first thing you do is not call 911. You go down to the kitchen and you find out your roommate is making pop tarts at 3 a.m. and they're just you know caught in the toaster and they're there with a fork. And you're like, no, 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 don't put a fork in the toaster, right? Like you just saved their life. Thank you for the fire alarm. Or you know you check the kitchen, nothing's there. You go to the bathroom, you find your teenager smoking and he's 13, right? And you're like, whoa, we got a whole other issue and I need to call someone else, not 911, right? But it's just like there's an issue here or. you you find out the back bedroom has the window open and your neighbors are having a bonfire, right? It's like there are so many things that can be going on, or you go down to the kitchen and realize that birthday you celebrated and that candle that you thought you blew out, you didn't quite blow it out, now there's a fire in your kitchen, you better call 911 because your house is going to burn down, right? All that comes from a fire alarm. Now, that's awesome. But how many of you, like me, have had a fire alarm or a CO2 detector that is honestly like you question if it's possessed? Like you prayed over it. You're like, this thing is just going crazy. Like, there's no, yeah, okay, a few of you, we'll have a little meeting after. It's a serious issue, okay? So when I was newly married, we had this carbon monoxide detector that like went off at like two in the morning, and it was going crazy. But there was, now that I think of it, I wonder if there was an issue. Maybe there was carbon. Anyways, what of the story is, is I, like, unplugged it. It kept going off. I did everything. I took the batteries because there's, like, a, it, just, it just kept going. It just kept going and kept going because I found out later they have, like, emergency batteries, backup, in case of Long story short, here's what I did to stop the noise because newly married, want to sleep. Uh, I stuffed it under a couch cushion. <laughs> Can I just give, like, public service announcement? Never place your fire alarm or carbon monoxide detector under a couch cushion. It will not work, and it will not save your life if you do that. But sometimes it's just like, it's just in the way, and you just need it to be fixed. And long term, you never, like I just think of to myself, I'm like, if we had had a carbon monoxide leak in the building at that night, we would have died. Because we somehow took the batteries out, and we just hid the thing that was meant to protect us. Now, let, let me just relate that back to, to what we're talking about. Any scientists in the room? Sci- like, okay, uh, if you pass grade 10 science the first try, you're a scientist. <laughs> I, I, I don't actually get to include myself in that group, but I just was showing you what to do. Okay, anyways, uh, so grade 10 science, you learned about biology, you learned about the body and how amazing human biology is, and you learned that the human body actually has built-in alarms. You know, that, that our human body, it's this thing called pain. Some of you are like, I wish I could just get rid of pain. Doctors will tell you pain is actually your friend. Pain actually tells you when things are going wrong. There's a a disease called leprosy, and a lot of people for a long time used to think that leprosy was a disease where your fingers and toes fell off. What we've realized now is actually, no, what happens is, is your nerve endings stop working and you can't feel pain, and so people with leprosy end up touching things that are boiling, and they end up burning their hand, and they, you know, they chop their finger as they're cutting, and they don't realize, they don't pull away, and they end up just, end up losing their digits. In, in the olden days, they would actually take people with leprosy and throw them out into some of the dirtiest places and just be like, they were scared to catch it, and then rats would come while they were sleeping and nibble on their fingers, and they would end up just losing things, not because they were falling off, because they didn't know that something was wrong because they could not feel pain. And so pain is one of the great, you know, physiological uh, miracles that shows us in this masterful way, this is bad, get away. Shows us painful things, burning things, all that kind of stuff. And uh, as one professional said, and I love this line, and I think it's just so impactful, uh, they said, emotions are kind of the alarm bells of the soul that uh, I know Kathleen said we're going to talk about emotions today, and some of you are like, okay, I can check out and check my email, right? It's just like, we don't need to talk about emotions, or I don't have any emotions, or whatever it is. And yet what you realize, you talk to psychologists and say, no, emotions are the alarm bells of the soul. And uh, I'm going to tell a story, a bit about my story, and uh, what I kind of realize is that I, in a lot of ways, went through a season of my life where I took the battery, Out of those alarms and missed out on what was put in there by God to show us when things are not going so well. And so last week, one of our pastors said, Mark, you know, you kind of alluded to, you guys know my story, and so I won't go into it. He's like, you know, it's kind of like what he's saying. He's like, you know, not everyone comes to church every week, right? Like, not everyone's like you, where they're here every week because it's their job. And some people, they don't make it every week. And so if they miss the one week you told your story, they don't know your story. And we have a lot of guests, a lot of people. So I thought, let me take a few minutes and just tell you a little bit about my story, get you all caught up. Um, a few years ago, I was, uh, I was a pastor. Uh, I guess I'm still a pastor, but I was, uh, I was still a pastor then. And so I was pastoring, pastoring a church. And I know, I know many of you think we work like one hour a week, I know. I get that. Um, but, uh, but we don't. We, we do some other things, too. And uh, in fact, we, we struggle with some of the, the same things that you struggle with in your workplace. In fact, you'd be astounded if you read the stats on pastors and their burnout rates and their mental health statistics. It's incredible to see the workaholism that plagues this industry, okay? And so, anyways, I, I kind of got caught up in that. I mean, we had the same things. Like, you fall into the comparison trap. You're on social media, and you see other families, and you're like, oh, my gosh, their kids sleep through the night. They sleep 15 hours. They eat all their vegetables. I suck. I many of you ever had that, right? Like, you look at other people, and they're, they're contractors, and you look at their bathrooms, and you look at yours, and you're like, man, I suck, you know? I'm a pastor. I call it, like, Sunday afternoon church brags on Instagram, and you're just, like, scrolling through, and it's like, our church was awesome, 500 baptisms. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we had a fight in our parking lot on Sunday. I'm like, I suck. Right? Like, we just go through the same thing, the comparison trap and the feeling like I need to work harder, I need to work faster, I need to be more productive, I need to be better at my craft. Like, we fall into the same thing. And so over time, we we planted this church. We had some health challenges. We just continued to go and kind of bulldoze through it. And uh, reached a point where uh, my health began to, to suffer. And my wife, you know, looking back on it, she'd say it was actually happening for years. But it just came on so slowly that we didn't even realize it's like boiling a kettle of water with a frog in it. It's just like, it just happens so slowly they don't realize what's happening. And that was me. That it reached the point where as I was, you know, in my mid-20s starting a family and I was always stressed all the time, you know, my wife says, you know, back then, you just said no to everything. Like, I'd be like, can we do this? And what are this? And I was like, no, no, like, I'm, I just got so much to do. And I have so much, she's like, you'd never say yes to anything. Like, if I asked, you'd almost like get frustrated. Or if I made plans without talking to you, you'd be like, why don't you talk to me? Why, do, why are we, what do we mean we say yes? And why are we doing something again? It was like, she just constantly felt like she was on eggshells around me. Um, I had this, like, scarcity mentality where I was just so scared to be tired. Or, you know, it was like this, this threat. Like, some of you were like, the weekend's coming. And it's good news. pastors. If you tell them the Weekend's coming, it's like, why are you threatening me, bro? Why, why are you at me like that? Why, like, I got enough problems. Don't tell me Sunday's coming. I remember my wife telling me recently, she's like, that whole season, I had two days where you were my husband Tuesday, Wednesday. She said Sundays you would preach and you'd come home a zombie. She's like and the Mondays you were just like it was your day off and you were just like passed out on the couch and you just you didn't want to engage with life, you didn't want to engage with hey, hey, can I just give you some feedback on your message on Sunday and I'd be like, "No! I don't want, just give me a day off." And then Tuesday you'd be back into the swing of things at the office and you know she can kind of have some conversation with me there Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday it's like the weekend's coming and I'm just a stressed ball of mess, right? And I'm just like falling apart all over again. We kind of go on vacation, we just crash into our vacation and then the vacation would end and we'd be back to it. It was just like this building over and over and over again. And uh, I look, you know, four years into planting this church and uh, we're at the point where now I'm in counseling. My heart rate is just always racing. My wife at one point, you know, just totally didn't even realize what she was saying, she's just like, I think you should go to the doctor. I think you have like a sweating problem. Like you just, you just kind of like maybe you should get that checked out. And I'm just like, yeah, I, th- I think I have a sweating problem, not an anxiety problem. I just showed up my, I didn't even think about that. Not even like, why is my heart pumping all the time? Why am I sweating in the middle of like, middle of winter? Like what's going on? Just realize like there's something going on here. And I just kind of some, sometimes just randomly like break out in tears and have no idea what was going on. and. Uh, I remember that just kind of reached its pinnacle or its climax, and my, uh, my brother-in-law found me backstage after church one Sunday, kind of just curled up, weeping uncontrollably, and he just took me, put me in the back of his Corolla, drove me home, and I just remember getting into the fetal position and shaking, unable to engage, and for a month I was just like that. My friends would show up, I would get into the passenger seat, I couldn't drive, I could barely talk, we'd go for a coffee, they'd come back, they'd just sit in silence with me. And in the midst of my wife being seven and a half months pregnant and raising a two-year-old, I'm shaking in a corner, unable to help at all. That I would try and talk, and I would just break out into stuttering, and I felt like I don't, you remember like the 90s? be like what are the 90s? But like us older people, not that I'm. Old, I remember the 90s. We'll just edit that. <laughs> Remember the 90s? Computers, internet, and like when your bandwidth would crash, you'd open like two windows at the same time, an Internet Explorer and MSN at the same time, and it would just like, and it would just like freeze up, and you just like you do the same thing every time: Control Alt Delete, Control Alt Delete, Task Manager, not responding, not responding, not responding. Remember that? Like that was literally my brain. Like it was literally like my whole body would crash, and my wife would ask me the smallest question, like, "Do you want a coffee?" And I was like, uh, and it was like all the bandwidth crashed. It's like everything was going, I just I couldn't make sense of it. And I, I was chatting with one of the doctors in our church this week, we were talking mental health, and she's just so excited that we're talking about this. And she had the best word picture. She said, you know, she's like, we have this amazing ability in our bodies to have fight or flight. She said, a bear shows up and your body starts pumping, fight or flight, and it's a good thing. You're ready to fight or run. I suggest running or acting dead. I don't know what you're supposed to do with a bear. I'm from Toronto. Anyways, <laughs> do y'all have bears here? Doesn't matter. Okay. The point is she's like when you have anxiety everything is a bear. That if you've ever struggled with anxiety that totally resonates with the core of your being. And if you've never struggled but you've known someone all of a sudden that's a word picture to help you understand what is happening in their world as that goes on. And so that began an incredible it just I just crashed into having to get healthy because I literally was just so broken. And so began going to counseling regularly, working with a medical professional, went on medication, just, you know, even just to get me up to that place where I could actually start doing what, what professionals would call good self-care, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, um, surrounding myself with a good community, which we're going to talk about in week five, and, and that was a journey that went on for a long time, and in fact if I'm honest, like, I'm still in recovery. I'm still someone who has to be careful. My wife is so aware of the things that, you know, like we're just so aware of the alarm bells that we used to ignore and the moment that we hear one of those or see one of those in my life, it's just like, whoa, you okay? You want to just take the night off? You want to just relax, not want to overschedule this? Like we're just still cautious, still weaning, still taking our time, checking in regularly with professionals because we just so want to be aware that this is a lifelong journey. And as we talked about last week, it's a spectrum. Mental health is a spectrum. That to say it's either like I'm good or I'm not is crazy that we're constantly on an emotional roller coaster and we constantly need to be checking in to make sure that we're still healthy. And so when I look back, and hindsight's always 20-20, isn't it? But people are like, so what, what happened? You didn't work 70, 80 hours a week. Like, how did you end up in this place? And I kind of look back and I think, this is how I'd summarize it. My pace was faster than my process. My fate, my pace was faster than my process. I wasn't processing the emotions that were coming up, the things that were coming up, the stress, the anxiety. I wasn't processing it because I had more things to do. And I had, in a sense, taken out the batteries, stuffed down the emotions, wasn't listening to all the things that I was feeling, wasn't processing them, wasn't figuring out why is this alarm bell going off? Is it a small thing? Is it a big thing? I have no idea. I have something to do, in Sunday's coming. And so today what I want to talk about a little bit is how do we put the batteries back in the alarm. Next week we'll talk about fighting the fire once we find it, but how do we put the batteries back in to become aware of what is happening? And I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38, if you would, and uh, we're gonna have it on the screen, but it's a story, you probably know the story, story of Mary and Martha, it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, I just wanna read it for you, you you good with that? I don't know why I ask that every time, you guys, it doesn't matter. (laughs) We already picked it, it's already programmed, all right. Uh, 1038, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, I just pause there for a second and just think, like, Jesus, wherever he went, had this massive entourage of people who were just so desperately wanting to hear his teaching, see his miracles, like, touch him, like, be near him, like, there was just something about him. Like, the places he went, like, you'd have enough people to fill the Sleeman Center. And yet, in this town, in this moment, he steps into someone's house. And I not about you, but, like, how do you prepare for Jesus coming to your house? Like, do you prepare food? What kind of food? Like, should it, I mean, he's like, king of heaven, on earth, like, it should be good, like, don't do KD, right? Like, like, what are you going to serve? What are you going to do? Like, do you need to have jugs of water that he can turn into wine? Should he have a dead person in the corner that he can rise to life, like, raise to life? Like, how does that, like, what do you do? How do you prepare, right? And so anyways, and uh, so it comes to Martha's house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, who sat at Jesus' feet, and listen to his teaching, which in that culture, women were not allowed to sit at the teacher's feet. Some people actually had rumors to say, we don't think women are actually capable of learning. We know how dumb that was. Um, But they actually believed this. Jesus obviously didn't. He was totally cool with her. But culturally, this was taboo, okay? So while Mary's sitting there listening to Jesus teach and just eating it up, her sister is distracted with much serving. She's just busy, busy, busy trying to get everything ready for the meal, okay? And so Martha goes up to Jesus and she says to him, Lord... Don't you care that my sisters left me to serve alone? It's like, don't you? To which I just imagine it's kind of awkward because everyone's teaching, everyone's listening, taking notes, and Jesus' talking. And she's like, just like, she just barges in. She's like, Lord, don't you care? She's like, oh, sorry, what? Don't you care that sisters left me serve alone? And then I love this part, it's my favorite part. Tell her then to help me. <laughs> to which I just kind of imagine Jesus be like, oh. Oh, so sorry, sorry, you can't be here. Can you go help yourself? Right? It's like, like, what's going on? And yet, Jesus, I just love, he's so masterful. He says this. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And she was. I don't know what it was, but many things. Maybe it was the guest list, maybe it was the table settings, maybe it was the appetizers, maybe it was trying to start the fire so she could cook dinner. I don't know what she was troubled about, but there were a lot of things that were troubling her. And she's the Mary, and, or she's Martha, and then there's Mary, okay? Now, how many of you, if you're like, you're like, I'm a Martha, like, I'm a get the job done, like, don't, don't chit chat. How many of you are Marthas? It's okay to be a Martha. How many are Marys? You're like the people like, it's moving day, you got the U-Haul for three hours, and Mary's standing on the ramp just chatting, and there's people trying to move the piano down. How many of you are married or in friends with a Mary? They won't confess it, but okay, right? You hate Marys, you Marthas, right? You're like in the kitchen at a dinner party, and like you got all these dishes to put away, and they're like right in front of the dishwasher, and you're like bumping them with the door, like, excuse me, sorry, slamming cabinet doors. That's a Martha move, okay? Not a Mary move, right? So anyways, um, Jesus is like, you're, you're anxious about many things. He says, but one thing is necessary. To which I just imagine Martha being like, no, 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 no. There's many things that are necessary, not just one. Jesus, you obviously know nothing about hosting. And this is what Jesus says in response. Mary's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What was Jesus saying? Was he saying it's better to be a Martha or a Mary than a Martha? No. Was he saying it's better to just sit on your butt on the couch like Jabba the Hutt and not help do the dishes at night? No. Don't say amen to that. That's not what he was saying. What was he saying? In fact, because what we know when we read the scriptures is what Martha was involved in was actually very good. Hospitality is a spiritual gift. Like It's good to do. But Jesus seems to be saying, in this moment, you chose the wrong thing to do. It's not what you're doing is bad. Not the hospitality is bad. Don't let people do that. Oh, you're such a Martha. Stop being a Martha. Those are all good things. Jesus is saying, in this moment, you misread the situation. You picked the wrong thing. And I just, I just, I totally, I tell you this every week. I have this wild imagination. So if I could, like, back to the future of this situation and take myself back to that situation and be like, Martha, Martha, come here, come here. Just stop yelling at Jesus for a second. Come here. right? She's like, hey, I'm from the future. My name's Mark, pastor at Lakeside. I'm actually going to be teaching on this text this Sunday. Um, It it made it into the Bible. Like, I made it into the Bible? You made it into the Bible. (laughs) She's like, what does it say about me? But like, they didn't mention what you were wearing, didn't mention how clean your house was, didn't mention what you served for dinner, didn't mention the aged wine or the aged cheese that you brought out just for this special event. None of it made it. What made it? Well, actually... The story kind of uses you as an example of what not to do. What? <laughs> it was supposed to be about my... Like, no, no, not how it went down. She's like, but, but Jesus is telling me there's only one thing to focus on, but there's so many things to focus on. I just be like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, no, I have to prepare, I have to cook, I have to clean, I have to... She's like, wait, wait, just one second. Jesus, Jesus, can you just come over here a second. Hey, hey, Martha's really worried about what you're going to eat. Can you just ease her anxiety a little bit? It says she was anxious and worried. Oh, Martha, Martha, do you know one time I went 40 days without eating? I'm good for the next hour. Do you know this one time I fed 5,000 people with the equivalent of a tuna sandwich? Like, you literally could have brought a granola bar and we could be eating a 10-course meal. Like, didn't need to be worried about this. Like, make your own tacos would have been fine. Soup, soup would have been fine, right? Like. It would have been good. And it's just kind of just imagine just like, oh, uh, are you sure? Just kind of imagine Jesus being like, I, j- I just wish you had been with Mary. Because I just, I came to your house because I want to be present with you. Because I want to be with you. Because it's so important to me. I'd be like, but Martha, you got so busy And moving so fast, you missed all the cues. And you were doing something that you thought was so important. You got carried away, and the person you wanted to serve, you wanted to make the perfect home and the perfect hospitality, and you yelled at Jesus. She'd be like, is that going to make it in the Bible? Yeah, verse 40. It's going to be in there. (laughs) There is a massive correlation between the pace that we move and our mental health. Is pace the only thing that is related to mental health? Absolutely not. But I'm telling you, the moment you have a crash like mine, and I talk to tons and tons of people, the one thing that always comes up is the pace that we move, that we do not know how to move slow enough, that we do not know how to put the batteries back in and actually be aware of our surroundings and be aware of all the things that are going on and be able to process them. And so often we are so busy and yet not at all effective because we don't realize what we're doing. I love Morton Kelsey. If you're pregnant and looking for a kid's name, Morton Kelsey. Only person that's going to reply on the playground is your kid. Awesome name. He was a pastor and a counselor. Probably had thousands of people sit in his office. This is his, his summary. The most potentially destructive issue of spiritual growth is not alcohol, immorality, or drugs. It is people who are efficiently busy. If you're just distracted enough, if you're just busy enough, you end up doing so much, we call that sideways energy, you're doing so many things and you pause and you have this Martha moment where you're like, that was all good, but it wasn't the one thing that was most important. And so often in our world we are moving so fast and we never pause and we never slow down and we constantly have our phones with us and we're constantly taking in information and looking at all the things and doing to-do lists and running from one thing to another that we don't even realize if we should be doing these things. And I look back on my life, and one of the biggest changes that I had to make in my mental health was actually just to slow down. Actually just to make room to process and invite God to speak into those situations and say, God, what's the thing you want me to do? There's a lot of things I can do. I'm not short on things to do, but I'm short on hearing from you to tell me what is the most important thing in that moment. That if Martha had just paused and asked Jesus, who would have been like, don't worry about dinner. I'll make dinner like this, literally. It won't be a problem. I just want to spend time with you. And maybe the one-liner for today is simply this. In order to be effective, we must be reflective. In order to be effective, and in order to have good mental health, in order to be stable, we must be people who are reflective. As Jesus' people, this is a core principle of the faith. You read the Bible, you ever notice? God is constantly asking people questions. You ever think how weird that is, it's like the God of the universe who was and is and always will be, who knows everything and he's asking us questions? It's not because he doesn't know the answer, it's because he's a God who loves to get his people to pause and to think about and to reflect and to remember because so often we're just human doings and never just human beings and sometimes God just wants to call us to be a little bit and to slow down. That in order to be effective we have to be reflective and not only that, we have to be aware of our emotions. Some of you grew up in homes, you grew up in different faiths, you grew up in this faith. Um, but you, you learned it's like, no, don't worry about your emotions. Like, don't worry about the feeling, just worry about thinking. And, like, that's just a lie. You read the scriptures and you discover that God is very emotional, that you see it all throughout the scriptures that he has joy, he has compassion, he has grief, he has jealousy, he feels love, he feels hate. Some of you are like, God can't hate. Oh, believe me, he can hate. To love is to hate. To love children is to hate child abuse. To love passionately means you hate the opposite of it. That's just how it is. And you find those strong emotions for God all throughout the scriptures, that he's an emotional God. And as Jesus' people, we are made in his image, which means if we refuse to engage with our emotions and actually pause and feel. David, look at the Psalms. It's just him writing about his emotions all the time. If we refuse to do that, we refuse to live out the image that God has called us to live in and we actually miss out, we're not reflective, we're not aware of what's going on, all the alarm bells going off inside, and we end up just doing things and we never invite God to speak into the midst of it. I told you every once in a while I'll recommend a book. If this whole idea of like emotions and Christianity is like foreign to you, like I'm not in touch with my emotions, I I didn't even know I had emotions. There's a great book called uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, it's it's one of my favorites, I've read it many times, and uh, highly, highly, recommend it um, as a great book to kind of engage with that topic. But um, let me just do this. How are we doing for time? Here's what I want to do today. I want to give you, this is, this is going to be like, you brought a list of 10 things talking about anxiety. You realize you're going to give someone an anxiety attack. I know. I'm, this is my world, okay? But here's, pick one thing from this list. Here's just, I kind of wrote down 10 things that I've kind of instituted in my life to slow down to be aware. In order to be effective, we must be reflective, and to invite God to actually speak into the midst of my life. So I'm not just doing, 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 but sometimes I'm just being and inviting him to speak into the midst of it. Uh, so here's ten things my list. You just take one if it works for you, okay? Number one, make your church a reflective space, okay? Some of you, you just come in at like 10, 10, it's just like you're just rushing in, got like wipes and diapers, and we're good, we're good. And I understand it's crazy, okay? I'm not critiquing that. But like, it's just, it's more anxiety inducing just coming here. And then like, you're like, how long is he going to preach for? You got to get off the stage, hurry up, come on, come on, come on, got a dinner date or lunch date, or whatever, right? You're just rushing out the door. Just pause. Just be present. And I know you're thinking, I'm saying that because I'm the pastor and I'm trying to like ease the congestion in the parking lot. Not true. When I wasn't a pastor for eight months and I was just a congregant who was suffering from burnout and my wife and I were just attending a church, we weren't the pastors, we were just mark and try. You know what we did every week? We showed up early and stayed late. We showed up early, our kids ran around and listened to the band rehearse, we drank coffee, we connected with people, we stayed late. We just booked off that whole morning and we're just like, we're just going to hang out. And so many of you in the last few months have just kind of made that your ambition here. You're just like, we're not going to make lunch plans right away, we're going to make our lunch plans in the gathering. And, hey, you want to go for lunch? Okay, yeah. I saw some people, they brought their lunch, Headed in the atrium, I'm like, that's awesome. Their kids are just running around. I'm like, this is great. Just use this as like a set once in seven days where it's just like, I don't have to rush. I don't have to do anything. That's an amazing thing. Show up early, stay late. I'm telling you, it was a game changer for us and we'll continue to do that whether we're pastors or just congregants. Secondly, um, you know what? I'm not going to give you all 10. That's going to be overwhelming. Maybe I'll make like a blog post about it. Let's see. What's, what's most important? Hmm. Sabbath. We'll send a link up for Sabbath. I talked about Sabbath a few, few months ago and the feedback was that was incredibly helpful and I think that's because it is. It's uh, Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. <laughs> yep. Uh, guard your evenings. Especially young families, guard your evenings. Um, it's just such a special time with your kids and your spouse. I remember um, Jeff telling me a while ago, he said, we were at this place where we were traveling the world, we had young kids, and someone just said, like, if it's too crazy to do all those things with your kids, maybe that's not what God wants you doing right now. And it was just like this, like, Poof. And so actually, let me, let me just go to our closing point from there. Thanks, Jeff, for that connection. Next one. There it is. If there are things in your life, here's here's such a helpful statement that's offensive, I think, but it's so good. If there are things in your life that you cannot get done, there are things in your life that God doesn't want you doing. If there are things in your life that you cannot get done, there are things in your life that God doesn't want you doing. So often we're just like, okay, I just need to work harder, sleep less, like go faster, faster, faster. It's like That's taking the batteries out of the alarms. And some of us just need to be gut level honest and say like we can't just say yes to everything that comes around. One of the helpful things, this is one of the things on the list was like have a, especially if if you're a family and you have lots of different commitments and stuff, have a calendar meeting every week. I know it sounds super geeky, but just have a time where you're actually going to talk about the calendar. My wife and I, it's Tuesday nights. So most Tuesday nights we sit down with our calendars and I have a list of like, hey, here are all the different requests and different things and what do you have on your radar and when are we out of town and when are we in town and we look at it all as one big thing and then we kind of pray and we just say, God, look, like, what should we say yes to? What should we say no to? And we say no to a lot more things than we say yes to because we are so passionate about having margin in our life to be reflective to journal, to just talk with each other, to have conversations, to go for walks where I'm not trying to get to-do lists done, okay? So if you send me an email on Wednesday saying, can we get together, you probably won't hear from me till next Wednesday, because I'm going to have to wait till Tuesday calendar meeting. It's just how it works. But we need to be people who actually slow down and uh, actually engage in that. Um, hmm. Note to self, never make a list of 10 things you want to go through at the end of the sermon. It's way too much. Um, ah, gosh, I just have so much I'm saying about. Okay. So things you're doing... You can't get done. Maybe God doesn't want you doing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God, God, what are the things in my life? I'm not sleeping as much as I want. I'm drinking more coffee than I want to. I haven't talked with my friends or my spouse about the things that I'm feeling in so long because we're just trying to get things done. And so we actually should ask God in the same way that Martha should have asked Jesus, like, what is it that you want me doing? And what is it that you want to take off the list? As I've been thinking about, like, those of you here, here today and you've journeyed with us, and you're like, you're like I'm not even sure I'm a church person. This feels foreign to me. I'm not sure I believe in God. I'm really wrestling with this. Um, this is the thing I just kind of sense i was supposed to say to you before we, uh, as we finished up rehearsal this morning. There's so many stereotypes about what a life with Jesus is like. There's so many stereotypes that say it's just this list of do's and do nots and all this stuff that we have to do. The thing I just sense Jesus wanted me to tell you today is that God has a plan for your life. And the first part of that plan is actually being in relationship with you. That when Jesus connected with Martha, he didn't say, no, no, you did it all wrong and the place settings were wrong and this is how you host a party, what's wrong with you? He's just like, I just wanted to spend some time with you. That as Jesus people, we believe that the God of the universe came in the flesh to put us back in relationship with our creator, to show us what our creator was like and to put us in relationship with him. And we believe that that's an invitation that is open to everyone but we have to accept it. And so if you're here today and you're like, what do I do next, and and God can speak to me and show me and guide me and all that stuff, like the first step is actually inviting me into your life and saying, God, I wanna receive that gift of that sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. I wanna know more, I wanna understand it, and I wanna engage with you. And our prayer teams will be here after to do that with you. But let me just invite the band to come up, and we're just gonna take a moment, and we're just gonna invite God to speak to us and to point out, hey, what's the thing in my life that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing? It may be a thing that I'm passionate about, it may be a good thing, it may be a valiant thing, it may be a ministry thing, it may be a God thing, but God's like, but that's not what I want you to do. In the same way, Martha, hospitality is amazing, but not right now. There's something else I have for you. And so we so badly want to be people to do that. So let's just take a moment and let's just ask God. God. If there is anything in our life, we don't want a list of 20 things. You're a God who just journeys and walks with us one step at a time. You say it's a lifelong journey. So right now, would you bring one thing to every person in this room's mind of something we can take off the docket so that we can be more reflective people, so we can be people who invite you to speak and we actually hear your voice because we've closed off some of the noise. Would you bring that thing to mind right now, Jesus? that thing is, I imagine Jesus telling Martha, you didn't have to cook, you didn't have to clean. That would grate against the cultural background she was from. Do you know what my mom would say if she found out God in a bod came to my house and I didn't serve him well? You know what my dad would say? You know what my relatives would say? It's a radical call to following Jesus. It bumps up against our culture. It bumps up against our families. And I think Jesus would simply say this, but Martha, you could have spent time with me. You could have spent time with me. That's what we want. We want the presence of God in our life. We want to be with the Holy Spirit. We want to hear him speak to us. We want to find out the plan that he has for our life. So let's sing. Let's invite him in. I love that song, I love the words. Uh, As you're heading out, our prayer team's up here, I always say, just be selfish with prayer. You're like, ah, but my thing's not as big as someone else's, if you want prayer, just come on up. If you're wrestling with the idea of relationship with God, come on up, they'd love to just pray with you and just journey with you. And uh, one of the things love to do is just give you a blessing as you go. And so I just wanna bless you with uh, courage to be still. I think that's one of the scariest things to do as, as people in this culture and as Jesus people. We feel the need to constantly be moving. But the thing you would have discovered 2,000 years ago if you followed Jesus, was there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of times where just like, where'd Jesus go? It's just off in the woods, well, desert. He just always was pausing to be reflective and that's where his effectiveness came from he was engaging with his Father. May you be reflective people. You'll be incredibly effective in your lives, in your work, in your home, and in your city. So go in Jesus' name. See you next week for part three.